Hey listeners, welcome to a bookish podcast. I'm your host, Megan, and this podcast is all about books, the people who write them, and their favorite desserts. My goal, if you will, is to help fellow readers diversify their bookshelves by sharing my diverse reads from authors who I feel have been underrepresented in the publishing industry. So grab a serving or two of your favorite dessert and let's get literary. This episode, we're talking all things Wild About You with author Anne William. I got a free digital copy of Wild About My Boss, the first book, when I signed up for Anne's newsletter back in December. It ignited a love for a series I haven't experienced since Harry Potter, and I'm not even kidding. The cover art drew me in at first because who isn't a sucker for a cute cover? I was met with such a beautiful story, it turned me into a rom-com lover. Then I just had to read the entire series and buy them all. They didn't disappoint, and I'm currently reading the fourth book, Wild About My Neighbor, that came out on August 8th. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably enjoy reading. So tell me, do you want to indulge in unlimited ebooks and audiobooks for less? Try Kobo Plus today. I use Kobo Plus Read, but there are two other subscription options available for you audiobook lovers. Each plan comes with a 30-day free trial for new subscribers and gives you access to over 1.3 million ebooks and over 10,000 audiobooks. It's perfect for those of us who find joy in a growing library. You can read on any Kobo e-reader or with the Kobo app, and you can listen with the Kobo app or on select Kobo e-readers. Find links in the episode description to get started on your free trial, or send me a message to find out more. Okay, listeners, please join me in welcoming the author of sweet romantic comedies inspired by nature and adventure, Anne William. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) This is my first time doing anything of this sort, so... I'm truly honored for you to to invite me for this. And I can go on and on about how imposter syndrome is make anytime I get compliments from people or see my reviews and especially the reviews that, you know, people are fangirling about my work. I'm just like, are you sure you're talking about me? (laughs) Are you sure you have the right person here? Just so you know, I am definitely one of your fangirls. (laughs) I ran away from all my books in the other room, but I've got all three upstairs. I'm so excited for the fourth one coming out. Yes, I I am too. And actually, um, so one of my like toxic traits, I would say, is that whenever things get overwhelming in my head, I just pretend they don't exist. <laughs> and this is one of those where I think July got so overwhelming and it's the summertime and I've got four kids. And I mean, if, even if I didn't have four kids, the summertime sometimes is just overwhelming. But <laughs> my um, my next book is coming up really soon, and I have a I I have a lot to do. But yes, it, it'll but, be great. And with four kids, summer must be insanely busy when school's not there to help take some of the load during the day. Well, yeah. Well, I, we actually um, it's a long story, but we actually homeschool. Oh. So yeah, we have four kids. We homeschool. Um, my husband and I both work and then I write. So <laughs> I feel like sometimes I talk to my husband and I feel like I've got like four full-time jobs. I swear. It sounds like it. Oh my gosh. How yeah. do you find the time to do anything? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah. And I think sometimes I, I wonder if I'm doing any of them well, it's kind of like, you can do a lot of things, but to do something well, you, you kind of got to dedicate time to it, you know? Well, from my point of view, you're definitely doing them all really well. Oh, well, thank you. And like, especially from the writing aspect, like every single one of your books that's come out so far has over a four-star review rating on Goodreads. Like, how does that make you feel? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, definitely wonderful. And, um, and even, even the, the reviews that aren't four stars, the 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 actual description of the review is still really good and even if it's you know critical 
I still am just so impressed that people have, I, I, not impressed, but just um, thankful that people have taken the time to actually provide their input or provide their love. Like sometimes it's just um, a review of what the book was about, but then some people actually really go above and beyond and share their their true feelings about the book. And, um, and I'm just so thankful for all of the people who have left, left those reviews. Sometimes whenever I see one that leaves me a little, um, you know, I think everyone has gets criticism that touches the wrong way, but <laughs> this is probably another toxic trait, but I always go to my favorite authors and I read through their reviews. And I'm like, okay, it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just me who gets, you know, the occasional, bad review, but, um, overwhelmingly good. And, you know, I know as books go on and the more reviews I get that those numbers are going to fluctuate, but still, yeah. And I find even the bad reviews too, like it gets people talking about the book, you know what I mean? And then it generates conversation, especially for people who loved the book. They're like, well, what did you not like about the book? Because I really loved that about it. And then more conversation is created and they're like, well, maybe I have to reread it. Maybe I got something wrong. And then they're reading it again. Yeah. Yeah. Actually some, um, some authors that I follow on, um, well, Instagram, one of them, one of the authors, she is a great musician. She actually makes songs of all of her negative reviews and they're hilarious. They're so funny. Um, I think Charlie Holmberg is her name, but yeah, she's had multiple videos, um, you know, reels of her making songs of her negative reviews (laughs) and they're, they're honestly, they're, they're really, uh, humorous to, to listen to. And you're, like you said, sometimes people's negative reviews are, and they're, what they don't like is what another person would really love about the book. Right. And I love that the negative reviews into a reel, it's kind of like the author's version of like celebrities read mean tweets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and her name is Charlie. Um, and so many people have left reviews about her, uh, about like not wanting to read a book um, written by a like romance written by a boy and she like is like okay my name's charlie and i'm a female (laughs) and like they're just assuming that it's written by a male but anyways (laughs) do you find that for females in the publishing industry like using a pseudonym can sometimes like help or hurt depending on the genre yeah well it definitely i've learned a lot because um I I actually have kind of assumed three different pen names over the years. And in the very beginning, um, you know, I just kind of thought you pick whatever you want. And that very much can be true. And sometimes pen names aren't uh, genre specific, but some of the, some of the author and publishing um, classes that I've taken, they they talk about how your pen name really can help your, um, your overall business and your overall book success. Um, for example, if you go to the bestsellers and you uh, look at fantasy, for example, a lot of the pen names and fantasy have uh, similar, like not maybe not tropes, but certain trigger words like raven or um, gold or you know certain words that are woven yeah. into the pen name are very much what those fantasy readers would want. And then with rom-com or just romance in general, there's a more lighter tone or a sweeter tone to the pen name. So I, I find that kind of that business aspect of, of publishing really interesting. Um, I've definitely learned a lot and am still in need of learning and still in need of growing. But um, yeah. But I find it's always great to continue learning and growing, right? Like nobody's ever really done growing. If you feel like you're done, I feel like that's where you really need to stop and take a look at where you may actually need to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because I actually, and I think I kind of um, hinted at this when we were talking previously, but like I was a terrible student. Um, I, I truly, I was, I mean, I wasn't failing by any means, but I was never a, I need, I never needed to have an A plus. I was like, let's just pass this class. And, um, 
you know, all will be good at the end of the year. I was a B student, maybe C student, sometimes an A. Um, I barely, you know, just got by. And so for me, like academic wasn't, wasn't a huge, huge part of my, of, I guess my, my past life. And so as an adult, things that I didn't find interesting, um, in school, then I find really fascinating now. Like I love history now. I did not like history in school. (laughs) Um, and like, even, I think I mentioned this to you before, but, um, I I literally survived high school with cliff notes because (laughs) I wasn't a reader. I was not a reader and I did not like English. I was into all the sciences, astronomy, like sciences, um, of any sort, that was my jam. Uh, and that's actually what I got my degree in and all that, but. Oh, no way. That's so cool. Well, I got my degree. I, I was starting to go to school for meteorology. That was my um, my dream was to be a meteorologist actually. But, um, I eventually got my degree in geography and I specialized in geospatial intelligence or sorry, geospatial information systems, GIS. And so, um, yeah, it's essentially cartography, uh, just a fancier name for cartography. Um, but yeah, I was, I was into the sciences. So, um, but now as an adult, I find literature should be fascinating and I find history to be fascinating. So yeah, you definitely grow and you definitely, your interests change and, um, you have to, you have to really make a point to learn new things based off of your, your hobbies. Um, one of the best things about homeschooling, honestly, is that I can help my children find what they're passionate about. And then pursue that and learn about that. And I'm not saying my children need to to know what they want to be, you know, what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. But um, that's definitely been uh, one of my lessons learned is when you enjoy something, you will learn it so, so much better. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I totally agree. And like, do you find that your writing style really changed between like now and when you published your first book? Or I guess more yeah. so more so process than style. Um, yeah, well, definitely because I <laughs> actually learned uh what not to do and um I learned a lot about genres in particular. Um I actually have my books here and I am looking at the very first one here. I'll show you, but um this was never published, and this is Probably, you know, it probably will never be published, but it's a reminder for me of, you know, my journey and how I, how it all started. Um, but this book was a YA time travel. Um, and I'm not saying that YA time travel is not successful and can't be successful, but, um, at least at that point we were, I, I co-authored this with a friend, but we were writing to what would interest us um, and what I was really passionate about, which is still very much necessary in any any writing. But um, I we took nothing into account for what actually readers want. And so by through my process of learning what um, reader expectations are and genre expectations are, um, I think I've grown in, in that regard, for sure. And do you find you learn a lot from your writer friends? Yeah. Um, you, this friend that I co-authored, um, you know, Guardian Lights. So Guardian Lights, again, it, it was never published. But when we wrote this, um, she, Crystal, she very much wanted to go traditional. Um, so I learned a lot in the traditional publishing through her with that. Uh, but then eventually I took my own turn and our past, our friendships remained, but our past as far as writing definitely took two different turns. And, uh, I kind of had to learn the indie side of it all on my own. Um, I don't have any other friends that are in my, you know, in my circle, in my real life that are, are writers, but at least the friends that I've made through authors, 
um, online, I definitely have learned and I've definitely been inspired by certain ones. Um, and I think that's kind of in any, whether you're a writer or whatever it is, you, you have those people that you're inspired by and you don't want to copy what they're doing, but you, you definitely want to learn from what they're doing. Right. And I'm, and I'm still working on that. <laughs> well, I think you're doing an amazing job. So how did you. your Wild About You series first come to be? Um, well, so, you know, <laughs> I, I was in very much a fantasy girl. And I, it was actually a little over a year ago that I made that decision. Actually, it might have been exactly a year ago that I made the decision to not abandon fantasy. I definitely think fantasy, um, fantasy romance is in my future, but it was, um, last spring that I really thought about, okay, what, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses as far as can I write this? Do I want to publish in the genre? And at that time, um, I actually stumbled across Emma St. Clair. I had never, ever read a rom-com. Literally, I've never, I, I don't even know if I was reading contemporary romance at all. Um, I'm sure I read one or two, but I, I was not a contemporary girl. I was 100% a fangirl for fantasy. Um, so whenever I stumbled upon a book by Emma Sinclair, um, I gave it a try. I think I started it, stopped it because it wasn't, it, it just, it was weird. It was not what I was used to. But um, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pressure or, or not pressure. I'm going to um, pursue this book, finish it. And I did. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And so um, her first book of mine opened my eyes to an entirely new genre. And it opened my eyes to just um, the sweet contemporary romance, which I honestly didn't even know existed up until about, you know, a little over a year ago. So Whenever I discovered her and then I started reading more books, um, I started reading uh, Cindy Steele, Jenny Proctor, all those um, authors that have such amazing, amazing books. I fell in love with that. Um, and I kind of self-reflected on, okay, that sounds like my tone of voice. That's more of my, um, I'm not going to say morals, uh, but as a Christian, I knew I there were certain lines in my writing that I didn't want to cross. Um, and there's, there are clean fantasy books out there that do really well, but in general, uh, fantasy romance is, is steamier, especially if you want to self, um, indie publish, you kind of need to be in that steamy. Um, there are some books that are so steamy. Cause I'm like, you like very Christian upbringing. And so when it comes to the steamier ones, I've tried and like, I just end up skipping through the scenes. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm blushing <laughs> so hard. Like I'm 36, <laughs> but I'm still blushing so hard. Like oh, I'm, I'm 36 too. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I do love um, even some of the steamier books. I've so been pushing my comfort zone with the steamier <laughs> ones. I think the difference is, is that I read steamy books. I enjoy those books, but I don't, I'm not reading it for that. And there are people who very much read it for that, um, which is fine, but yeah. that's not like, I'm not seeking it out for that purpose. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and so anyways, I, I think I made a huge like self-reflected pivot from fantasy to rom-com um, mainly because I knew myself, I knew my voice and what I was able to produce was more in line with that. So um, whenever I made that decision though, to start writing romance or at least to give it a try, I, I knew I needed to weave myself into it, you know, weave a little bit of my personality Um and this is kind of a, a funny, weird, like random, <laughs> random fact about me, but I swear every book I've ever written has been um, inspired by some level of like natural phenomenon. It's, I don't know why when I growing up, I, I like, I was the kid who watched Twister and 
um, Dante's Peak. I, I was so into all of that. Um, so, I loved Dante's Peak and Twister. Yeah. I loved all yes. those movies. Yeah, I'm not sure what that says about our, our personality or our character, right? <laughs> but um, I feel like that shaped me. And it also shaped my interest as far as whenever I see a book and uh, what draws me to it. I feel like it's always nature to some to some degree. Um, this first book that I wrote was initially inspired by an Aurora Borealis. And um, so whenever I was thinking about the series, I started there. I'm like, well, where where can um, where do I want this series to start? And so I started doing research on Aurora Borealises, where they're at. And um, and that's kind of where it initiated, where it originated. The Wild Lights Resort was just this place that I thought of. And the series kind of went from there and I was able to develop it out from there. But um, yeah, it's always funny how like every book idea, literally, that I ever have, have has ever came to life in my head has always been like around some weird natural phenomenon. I don't know, which is probably why I will go back to fantasy someday because I feel like those story ideas, um, they, they need to be told. And, um, and I want some level of magic woven into them eventually, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where it started. Beginning over 60 years ago with One Mother's Dream, Linen Chest has remained a family-owned, proudly Canadian business with over 35 locations across Canada. You'll find an amazing selection of quality products because we all value quality and having something no one else does. Shop for everything from bedding to home decor to dinnerware. Paired with excellent customer service, my personal favorite is the price guarantee. Linen Chest stands by their in-store and online pricing for a full year. So if you find the same item at a lower price anywhere else within 365 days of your purchase, not only will they match it, but they give you an extra 10% off the difference, no questions asked. Until August 16th, shop the white sale and save up to 55% off, plus save the taxes on select bedding basics like duvets, pillows, mattress toppers, and more. Until August 16th, check out their mystery deals. Get 30, 40, 50, or 60% off select items online. Find links and promo codes in the episode description to start saving with Linen Chest, or send me a message to find out more. For the Wild About You series, did you do any research for it? And if you did, what did kind of research did you do? Well, um, you know, I've actually never been to Minnesota. And if well, honestly, I can't believe you got through the entire book. Like I still haven't been able to get through it. And like I was brought up in a very academic household, reading the classics and the whole you have to read this book kind of thing. So mm-hmm. reading Lord of the Rings and stuff like that, like it was a big challenge for me. Well, yeah. So that was high school. And that was the period of my life where um, you know, in literature class, they tell you to read the classics. And I'm like, um, no, I will read the cliff notes and I will just barely pass this class. So that was me. That was my mentality. Um, and to this day, I probably haven't read nearly as many classics as I should. But I, in two, so 2001, um, yeah. my freshman year of high school was, I think, when the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. So I had read, uh, yeah. So I read Fellowship of the Rings right before the movie came out. And then I was just instantly a fangirl. And so to answer your original question, so your original question was, when did I find that like words held power? And I just didn't know what it felt like to love a book um, or be swept up into a book before I had, no interest in reading. So um, it's just very random that it happened to be Lord of the Rings when that's, it's a hard book. I mean, it's a hard book for adults to read. And for me, as a very, very, very young, brand new reader to 
to dive into that and then actually finish it was an accomplishment, but, um, but it really like opened my eyes to fantasy for one. And then like to answer the question, it really opened my eyes to what it meant to be a fan of something. And, uh, and I don't think that was necessarily the pivotal point when I became, um, a, a reader, um, you know, a book lover. I don't necessarily think that's when that journey started. Um, but it was definitely my first moment of when that started. It wasn't honestly until college that I started to, uh, read more, um, like not fluently, but read more, uh, consistently and, pick up more books that were either recommended to me or, you know, were popular at the time. Um, I see a lot of people, I've seen a lot of like Instagram posts or um, like, I don't know about memes or anything, but I think that a lot of book uh, people our age, maybe um, had, we can look back and twilight was like the, the beginning. It was like the birth of, of, that whole like bookish for me that twilight really was like obviously lord of the rings in 2001 was um the start of it but when it when it comes to me and my journey as far as loving books as an adult it started in my 20s um when twilight was coming out and then hunger games and that whole era of uh, fantasy was really what like started my love of reading um and set it on fire for for good and like that's since then I've I've been a lover and a fan of books particularly fantasy um but really it wasn't until I was an adult did I learn what it meant to be a fangirl (laughs) (laughs) I love that though so as a self-published author how Mm -hmm. do you handle deadlines oh man do you hold yourself accountable Mm -hmm. do you have someone else hold you accountable (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I do know that if I set myself a pre-order, um, that is that is the deadline. But I know that Amazon allows you to adjust the pre-order date. I really never want to do that. I think you're only allowed to adjust it once before um, Amazon has problems with you adjusting that pre-order date. So God, for me... Yeah. Um, I give myself about three to four months and the last two books I have had months go by where I, we are either sick um, or just so much gets in the way. I know um, for a while about my uh, fake fiance, I swear that that whole season um, we were sick. We were so sick. Um, My family, my, my household, it was, you know, winter time when I was writing it. So I got nothing done. (laughs) I got no writing done for a really long period of time. Um, And that really kicked me into gear to be like, okay, I need to write and I need to um, stay accountable to my deadline. And I did, and I was able to achieve that. But I I think moving forward, I would like to give myself a little bit more time, Um, at least for pre-orders. I I don't necessarily want to spend as much a lot of time between books, book launches, but I want to give myself a little bit more time, um, and maybe release early. I think that would be a huge gift to myself to set a a further away release date and then just happen to publish early. Um, that'll help me. And I think my mental health, especially because we're going into the holiday season. Um, and I really, really want to give this next book series that I, that I'm plotting, this, uh, the time that it needs, you know, to develop it. And I really want to do it right. So I don't want to push myself too soon. I do have an editor, um, and she is great. Um, but she, she herself is not holding me to deadlines. Gotcha. So in your personal experience, how does self-publishing differ from say authors who are represented by agents or publishing houses? Um, you know, this is me speaking to what I've learned, um, in some of the classes mm-hmm. that I've taken or just some of the research. I think that for a self-published author, 
um, an indie author, you really, really have to be honed in to that reader expectation. Um, Traditionally published authors have a little bit more grace when it comes to having maybe a little bit more artistic uh, flair to either their writing, um, maybe their titles or their covers don't have to be nearly as trope heavy. Um, But from, from what I've learned, indie authors really do have to make sure that the reader knows what they're going to get and, um, and you write to what they're, what they're wanting. And I find that to some people find that, um, to be restricting. I really don't think that it is restricting you there. You very much have your own artistic creation when it comes to writing these stories, but um, but I, I do find that's a big difference between the traditional world and, um, the indie world. And, and really as an indie publisher, you are, you are your own like business and it's not just writing. Um, you can write for fun and throw it out there and hope that it lands and hope that it, you know, takes off. But if you really want to have a lot of people read your books and, um, and of course, there's the monetary aspect to publishing. But if you really want to provide a service, which is a book to people um, that they're going to enjoy and that they're going to consume and love and want to keep coming back because they uh, always like uh, they'll always know that they're going to love your books. Um, you really do have to be consistent and have a brand and stick to that brand. Um. So for me, I'm definitely still trying to identify my brand. I think I know what it is. And I think I know, and I think I have that vision for where I'm going. Um, But it's definitely in my mind as I'm, as I'm writing and as I'm going forward. And so what are your hopes for the Wild About You series? Like, are you looking for your series to be picked up by a publishing house? Or are you very much content with the self-publishing? Oh man. Uh, well, I honestly don't know who wouldn't love to be picked up. However, I mean, there are some drawbacks to traditional publishing. There are some, um, some very, very significant drawbacks to traditional publishing, having less creative control, but then, um, you know, I don't know if the publishing world is changing. I kind of feel like it is. And maybe I'm not the most um, qualified person to talk about it because I don't know the ins and out of publishing, but um, from my observations and from the research and classes I have taken, I do feel like even traditional published authors have to market their own books. They have to be um, pushing themselves, their face, you know, readers want to see the author's face. Readers want Mm -hmm. to not just love your book, but they want to love you as the author. And so um, maybe there was a a period of time when you could just write a book and it go on a bookshelf. But um, now there is a whole lot of, of extra work. And I don't see the difference between traditional publishers and indie authors, indie authors, as far as the effort that they have to put forward. Um, so I, I do fully support the, the, or I do fully support the traditional publishing. And if somebody picked me up, that would be wonderful. Um, but it's not necessarily what I'm aiming for. Um, I'm currently just in Kindle Unlimited. And so I think at, at least for that next step, taking that next step in um, my writing, I've been wondering if I want to go wide. That's kind of my next thought process, you know, of, of hmm. what what's coming next. I don't know if I'm going to go wide or if I'm going to stick with Kindle Unlimited. Um, there's pluses and minuses for both options, but that's I have to. I mean, I don't know if you've read uh, B.K. Borison, so the Love Light Farms. Have you yeah. read hers? Oh my gosh. Love them. Um, so she was an indie author who was recently picked up. Yeah. And I, I love watching 
her experience and love watching what, what that looks like through observing how she is, um, you know, handling her platform. And, and obviously, uh, it doesn't look like a lot has changed other than maybe her, um, her publisher's name on the book and they relaunched it. But, um, I'm sure there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff that looks different from when she was just any publishing. And I really think that she's got a bright future. Um, a really, really great future as far as the future books that she writes. So I think everyone aspires for that a little bit. I received the Kobo Libra 2 as a gift from my mom and it totally changed my reading game. I was getting migraines from too much screen time and needed a solution. The seven inch HDE ink card touchscreen is always glare free and Comfort Light Pro's adjustable brightness and blue light reduction tech limits eye strain. It helped enable me to read more by not aggravating my cluster headaches. Score! That isn't even the best part though. It's fully waterproof, so you can read in the bath or at the beach with ease. It has buttons for when you don't feel like tapping, and you can read in landscape mode or listen to audiobooks. It even holds up to 24,000 ebooks, 150 Kobo audiobooks, or a combination of both. Find links in the episode description to purchase a Kobo of your very own or send me a message to find out more. I found just through my own reading and everything, a lot of publishing houses now, like you said, like they're expecting authors now when they come with manuscripts to already have a following and a readership. They're like almost not considering authors who don't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen and heard that too. And in fact, my, uh, my friend who I co-authored Guardian Lights with and my, um, you know, I, I speak with her on her journey and I hear about her and her friends, her writer friends. Um, and it does sound like it might be a little frustrating to know that you're putting all this effort into putting out um, your manuscripts and putting out your leads to all these agents and to these publishing houses. But in the end, like you could have self-published it and you could have already built your platform and built your fan base. And, uh, and I, I have just been blown away by um, how I could take the steps to launch my books and then readers love me just the same, you know? Yeah. With or without that, with or without that publishing name behind it. Right. That's one of the things that I've loved about self-publishing actually, is that it gives readers the option to just read the stories they love. They don't have to wait for certain publishing houses to pick up stories or this and that. If the author's going to put it out there, readers are like, great, let me have it. Like I want all of it. (laughs) Yeah. So let me ask you a question actually. Yeah. Um, so I was on your A Bookish Podcast website and I did notice that um, kind of like your tagline, your main mission is helping readers diversify their bookshelf. And sure. I'm, I'm interested for you as um, a bookstagrammer and as somebody who loves reading and reviewing, do you find that um, it's a good thing or a bad thing for authors to diversify what they write? Or do you prefer when um, an author just sticks to their lane? I love when authors diversify. Me personally, if I -hmm. love the way somebody writes, I'm like, give me stories in any and all genres. I love the way you write. I love the worlds you create and the characters. Like, I'm going to love it no matter what genre. You know what I mean? I'm one of those readers. I'm like, give me a variety of everything. Because I also read all genres too. I'm not. I don't try to stick to just one. I'm like, I love all stories. I don't just watch one type of movie either. I read and watch everything. Yeah, same. I'm the same way. Um, And of course, there's people who are the opposite of us. But I I do feel like people probably have a diverse taste in books, just like they have a diverse taste in music and movies. And um, and so I, I kind of wonder as I, and I've mentioned this a couple of times in this, in this podcast, but like, I, I've always looked forward to what does my future look like, um, in the author world. And I, 
And I do want to expand and kind of push the limits as far as um, what I'm providing and what my books uh, are about. And, but I was just curious. I was curious as a reader, what your, what your thoughts are, if you liked authors who are very consistent with what they're putting out. Well, for me personally, once I'm done the Wild About You series, I'm actually going to be getting your fantasy series. Oh, well, I will say the fantasy series is a little bit steamier. Um, It's not, I think I have that caveat in the back of my books that it is. Well, I hope you love it. I I love, I love um, uh, Crowns and Chaos and Royal and Ruin. I have, I have them right here. Actually, Um, they're so much thicker. They're so much thicker. Um, Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, (laughs) they are. I I love, I love these books, but um, again, I, around this time I pivoted to, um, had to really take account of, of what my brand is and what it's going to be moving forward. Um, So this is actually Josie Gold, pen uh, pen name. Um, And I'm writing... I'm writing under Anne Mulliam now, of course, but, uh, yes. So with the fourth book of the series coming out, what can readers really expect from this one? Um, so I've tried to make sure that the natural, uh, like while the, uh, Wild About You series is primarily set in Minnesota and around the Wild Lights Resort. And um, while that's not a huge, huge um, main, I guess, plot point, it is kind of where the origination of the story is. And the characters do go back there. And that is, we are brought back to the Wild Lights Resort multiple times um, in this book. And so... For this one, um, especially since I wrote it to be, originally I wrote it and plotted it to be the final book. Um, I do have a lot of the other characters from my other books. So uh, Celeste and Brady aren't at the Wild Lights Rollers. Um, they're not at the Wild Lights Resort, but my characters go to Florida for like a friend vacation. Um, they do a friend beach trip. And they're all in a beach. Yeah, the characters kind of have all originated from uh, that wildlife resort area. But um, uh, Skylar and Isaac moved to California and Brady and Celeste moved to Florida. So like they've kind of scattered about, but they're all brought together um, in some of those final chapters and and or just woven into some of the other chapters as well. Like they're, they're brought into the story along it, but I, I love having them all back together. Um, that's probably been what probably all readers are anticipating the most for this. And then uh, just like all the other books, you do meet new characters that you'll love and um, some, some other, you know, loved characters uh, like Lorelai is in it. And let's see. Um, chamomile cammy uh she's the um, owner of the boho boutique like just characters that are so they're just side characters but you end up loving them and you end up wanting to to have them brought in and so i think like sprinkling them about the stories has been um one of my favorite things and one of the things that um characters can expect for wild about my neighbor oh i'm Um, so excited yeah. And, and to be honest with you, this one, I, I was a little worried about it though, because yeah. so, well, Brady, um, Celeste, Isaac and, um, Ross, they were all park rangers, right? So that's kind of where the story originated, but, uh, Nova and uh, Luke are not, neither one of them are. So that is probably um one of the deviations from like what you would typically expect they themselves are not park rangers that doesn't mean that they're not going to be um put into situations where they're either you know in the woods or with the the natural wildlife um good stuff that you love from the other books like you're going to experience that 
but you're just not going to experience it from that park ranger standpoint. Uh, so that's probably one of the biggest differences, but, um, to be honest with you, I think I teased this on Instagram and I instantly regretted it. So, uh, Nova in Luke, um, are the main characters of this book and Luke's twin sister is Luna, but I had teased that I was going to extend this series, but I think what is going to happen more than any, um, more than likely is that Luna is going to be the start of the next series. So it's kind of like the, the two series are going to be woven together and have those ties. So we'll still continuously hear from the characters that we love, um, from the wild about you, but I really do feel like Nova's story, it, it really, really is leaning strongly towards being the start of a new series, um, and a new epic journey that is not going to be in Minnesota. Her, her journey is, um, leaving Minnesota, leaving the wildlife's resort. So, um, that's why I was really strongly feeling like, okay, maybe I do need to cut ties, um, really end the series with a very strong happily ever after for everyone. And, um, but tie it into the next series. Oh, I love that. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited. So my final question for you is my token final question, just because it's my favorite meal. So I have to ask everybody, what is your favorite dessert? Oh, cheesecake. Yes. I I answered that. Well, I just like regular plain cheesecake. I will eat it regardless of whether it's chocolate like swirl or um, strawberries or cherries on top. I don't prefer having fruit on my cheesecake, but I feel I you on that. that. I feel <laughs> you on that. I'd prefer it without the fruit. I can get a swirl and everything in it, but don't put real fruit on my cheesecake. Yeah. Like I... I will eat it regardless because like, I am not a picky eater. Um, and when it comes to cheesecake, I don't care what you put on it. I'm going to, I'm going to eat it. I'm like, what was it? Uh, um, Rachel and Joey eating the cheesecake. Oh, Rachel the Chandler with the cheesecake when they steal the paper. I think so. Oh yeah. Like I would eat it off the floor. I would do oh, it. Oh my gosh. I feel the exact <laughs> same way. That cheesecake always looks so good. Yes. I find it funny. You, you asked me so many questions on this podcast and that was the one that just like, I had the answer for you. (laughs) I love it though, but you do, right? Yeah. You're like my love for cheesecake. It will never die. (laughs) What about you? What's the Uh, answer? So for dessert, I have a really hard time picking just one, but cake is probably my favorite. So any variety of cake, like cheesecake, carrot cake, double chocolate cake, tiramisu. I love okay, let me, let me ask this though, because I find that I, this is weird, but I do. I love cake, but I don't like cupcakes. See, I know. Gotta be specific. I don't like too much icing on my cupcake. Yeah. Right. So it, they're the same substance, essentially. It's icing and it's cake. It's just in a different form, but it's not for me. I love cake <laughs> in a square or, a, you know, a triangle, whatever, you, whatever you're going to put on my plate, I'll eat it. But a cupcake, I'm a little bit more snobby. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I feel a little ripped <laughs> off. I'm just like, but with cake, you get bigger slices. Why do I get a cupcake? Yeah. Like, why are you giving, yeah. giving me cake? Like, I'll eat yeah. it, but I don't and the the icing distribution is just like way too much icing unless, unless we're going to cream cheese icing and then, um, forget everything I just said. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. Especially on carrot cake. Yes, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I had so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. You can find Anne's books on Amazon, and I cannot wait to hear what you think. You can also find Anne on TikTok and Instagram. Her IG handle is A-N-N-E dot W-I-L-L-I-A-M dot A-U-T-H-O-R. And her TikTok handle is the same minus the dots. 
thanks for joining me on another episode of A Bookish Podcast. Don't forget to pretty please sign up for the newsletter. You can just send me a message giving me permission to add you to the email list. It's that easy, because no one likes complicated. Next week, tune in for my sit-down with author Melissa Ferguson. Featuring the debut of Little Ferguson's, we talked about her most recent release, Famous for a Living, Influencers, and What Being One is Like. This woman has over 100,000 followers on Instagram alone. Melissa is so sweet, funny, and smart. I just love her content. Anyway, here is a sneak peek of what's to come. I ended up getting hooked on Twilight. Twilight just okay, came yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I first saw like 10 minutes on television, and I was like so intrigued by the plot that I ended up like reading the whole series in like two weeks. That's impressive. Yeah, well, yeah, it was fun. And then um, essentially, I I went out to um, I went out to the grocery store shortly after, and there was someone who had actually gotten a ta- like a like a Twilight tattoo on their neck, and that was the moment where I was like. Thanks again for listening to this episode of A Bookish Podcast. I appreciate all of your feedback and hope you keep it coming. I'm looking forward to chatting with you next week. In the meantime, you can connect with me at www.thedepuishow.com forward slash reads. I hope you have a wonderful week and remember to show yourself some grace. I was reminded of this last week when preparing the first episode of this podcast. My anxiety around it all was paralyzing, but I'm so happy that I hit that publish button. Thank you all again for your comments, DMs, and emails full of encouragement and kind words. My heart is so full. See you next week.